When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of Fishology. We have a very special episode for you guys. We also have our very first guest ever on Fishology. I want to welcome on Jeff Ponce from Baseball America. Jeff, thank you so much for coming on to Fishology. Thanks a lot, man. I'm uh, excited to be on and also honored that I'm your first guest. Give a warm welcome to Lewis and Adam. How are you guys feeling for this podcast? I'm excited, uh, definitely, to further enlighten our audience with Jeff here about obviously like different ways of evaluating prospects and kind of what makes a prospect a prospect. And yeah, I'm definitely excited to have Jeff on. Yeah, and I'm definitely excited to kind of look into some of these extra prospects we've got here. Some of the top guys, the Marlins are looking forward to having as part of their cornerstones going into you know the future of the latter half of the decade. So. Um, love to see what guys like Yuri, Eater, and some of these guys bring to the store and break them down and talk about them. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Yeah, and let's just start with the number one overall prospect, the cream of the crap for the Marlins, Mr. Yuri Perez, who is only 19 years old and looks like a future ace for the Marlins uh, this past season in double a, he posted a four Oh eight ERA in 17 games started in 75 innings. Jeff, I want to get your um, whole perspective on Yuri and maybe what the Marlins have there with the 19 year old. Yeah. And I think um, you have to keep in mind, like how young Yuri was um, for the level 
I mean, he was 18 years old. Um, he turned 19, like what, the 15th of April. So the second week or whatever the season, you know, he effectively would have been, you know, a high school draft pick had he been American. I think when you put that into perspective, the fact that he was in double A, um, pitching in similar environments to where top college picks were getting blown up out of the draft, um, where top college picks had to pitch well in high A to even get to that level. And if you look at a guy like Gordon Graceffo, I mean, we, we shoved him onto a top 100 list. Um, Cardinals fans are excited about him. He's, you know, like three years older than Yuri, four years older than Yuri. One, two on the way to Anthony Mulrine. And the pitch swing and a miss, strike three, 98 to cap off a one, two, three, fifth inning, eight strikeouts. And another brilliant performance tonight for Yuri Perez. I think when you think about that and just the type of situations that the Marlins were trying to put Yuri into, um, they were consistently challenging him. And that even goes back to spring training. I, I was um, at a backfield game, a double A game, actually. Um, like this is the video right here where he, he faced a Mets lineup that included Robinson Cano. Um, Sterling Marte sat in for an at bat because he was coming back off of the IL and was playing in the triple A game on the other side of the complex. Um, Jeff McNeil was in this lineup. Um, he struck out Jeff McNeil actually in this <laughs> in this game. There were like a handful of major leaguers, and this guy's in here. He's getting swings and misses on this fastball. Uh, he's tunneling the slider right off of that. Um, you know, which which doesn't have like huge sweep, but it's it's really hard and it has like late cut. Um, so it's really effective. Um, he's showing the curveball. Um, the changeup's pretty good as well. I mean, overall, I mean. When you look at the fact that this is a guy who is as young as he is, he's as big and as long as he is, he moves as well as he is. He's as, you know, synced up as, as well as, as, as he is. It's just, it's remarkable. And then you start to dig under the hood. You look at stuff, you know, he sat 97 miles per hour this year, you know, per trackman. Um, he's been up to a hundred, you know, as a starter, you know, the fastball has ride. Uh, it has bore. So meaning it has arm side run and it has ride. Um, and he has uh, high spin rates that are efficient. So when I say that, I mean, you know, he's 2,500, 2,600 RPMs in his fastball, which is elite. And he's getting movement out of that and velocity. So like that combination of traits, um, and even his release height, like he's a sub, um, five VAA guy. And we could talk about some of these metrics and what they mean, but just in terms of the plane on a fastball. Um, five is, is, is pretty standard. Like that's what I would consider to be like generic, um, bigger guys, of course, are typically going to have a steeper plane in their fastball. The fact that he gets down the mound as, as well as he does, um, extends as well as he does and is able to create that flatter plane in his fastball with the velocity, with the movement, like that combination of traits is good. If you're five eleven. if you're six foot eight and you're able to do all that, it's really unique there's probably even more power uh, that could come out of this body. Like if you look at him, he's built sort of like, you know, a, a first round draft pick out of college that plays power forward. And you're like, that guy's going to add 30, 40 pounds of muscle over the next several years. Like he's built like that, you know? Uh, and then you just look at the secondaries I and mean, he's got a hard slider. Um, I guess it doesn't have a ton of movement, but it sort of has that late cut uh, more of a, you're, you're like prototypical sort of gyro slider. Um, he's got a curveball that um, is more of like a horizontal curveball. I think it's really more like release kind of makes it look like it has more depth than it actually has. 
Uh, and he's got a good changeup. I mean, he throws all these pitches for strikes. He lands them in zone. Um, you know, he gets ground balls at a, around a 50% rate or higher against all the secondaries. His changeup actually has like a 64% ground ball rate. So he's got a variety of ways to get guys out. He can get guys to swing and miss. Um, you know, he can he can land all of his pitches for strikes. He doesn't really have anything that moves like crazy, like this DL Hall stuff where, yeah, it's phenomenal, but like getting that in the zone consistently um, is difficult. And getting guys to swing, I think that's part of it, right? Is like you need to have pitches that play off of each other that trick guys into swinging in or out of the zone. Um, swings are good, you know, it turns into outcomes. And more often than not, if you don't have incredibly hittable stuff, you're going to get out. So, I, you know, I look at a guy like Yuri and it's like the sky's the limit, but he checks all the different boxes. I think the biggest question for me is like that body type, health. We saw some some health stuff at the end of the year. Um, but, you know, if he comes back strong next year and we see, you know, 120, 120 to 130 innings, um, we may even see him in the major leagues. If he comes up and is what he is, like it's going to be bigger than when guys saw Sixto in that 2020 season. And it seemed like the first five starts of Sixto Sanchez's career, he was, you know, going to be whatever, like the next Pedro Martinez or something. Yeah, yeah no, with um, uh, Yuri Perez, like he was my top prospect on the Marlins. Personally, I have him, Jeff, as my second overall pitching prospect behind Andrew Painter, uh, just simply because I love the stuff with Painter. His strikeout percentage is a little bit higher. Conversely, his walk percentage is a little bit lower. He consistently throws 100 miles an hour more often, I believe, than Yuri. Correct me if I'm wrong with that. Um, just in his secondary is a little bit better. So I do believe that. Uh, I know Eric Longenhagen has uh, Yuri as a 65. I'll have Andrews my 65. But Yuri Perez, there's you can't go wrong with him, absolutely. He's just absolutely stellar. Um, he's got that elite four-pitch mix standing at that 6-9 frame, throwing 68, 96 to 98 consistently, flashing those triple digits with that fastball and getting decent ride with it. Um, the changeup, I thought, was really like an uh, underrated pitch. It's something that I kind of wish he would throw more often, and it would make his sequencing a lot better with that, you know, like I mentioned with that advanced four-pitch mix. Uh, Jeff mentioned his gyro slider. He gets a lot of swings and misses with that. It kind of sits in the mid-80s. Uh, but that curveball is really, really nice, and I believe it's more. Of, it has a lot of slurvy tendencies to it because it kind of has uh, more of like a little break than I think a traditional curveball would. But, you know, make no mistake, Jeff mentioned everything here about the makeup of really being an ace caliber starter. Um, and in my opinion, once he gets all said and done, he's probably going to be taking over Sandy as that number one guy in the rotation, just because simply he's going to be getting outs and he's, 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 he's the guy who's going to be getting that guaranteed out more than Sandy who's going to be relying on batted ball and weak contact. So that's why I do like uh, Yuri Perez and he's the future ace of this ball club. If all goes well. And obviously um, if he doesn't get hurt and we've seen injury risk, but Make no mistake, he's already showing like the po the polish of a back end rotation starter as a teenager right now. So, uh, barring any setbacks, he'll be in the major leagues next year, and he's going to be something very special. Yeah, um, Lewis, let me ask you really quick, um, Yuri. You know, you talk a lot with, with our um, prospect coverage with uh, with Alex. A lot of stuff there. We're always talking to him. Just what do, what do you see from Yuri, and maybe for especially for twenty twenty three. I mean, Jeff mentioned the tunneling with the slider and, you know, the ability to command the changeup. Like, obviously, we understand that to be a successful starting pitcher, whether that's a mid-rotation guy or somebody like Yuri who has front-of-the-rotation potential, 
commanding three pitches is important. And we've seen the scouting grades. Obviously, I think he has three pitches that are 55 and above. The fastball and the slider are 65, if I'm not mistaken. This the question I wanted to ask Jeff, though, was because he, you know, given he was facing guys so much older than him or a couple years older than him at double A, um, and he will likely start there next year because obviously he missed some time at the end of the year due to injury. Do you think the Marlins pitching death at the big league level had the way it's manifested itself with the likes of Sandy Braxton, you know, uh, Cabrera and Pablo and, and the myriad of other guys that they've had come up and do well for them. Do you think that's a net positive for Yuri and that they can continue to take their time with him given his youth? He's not going to be 20 until mid April of next year. Or could we even see a spot where maybe the end of 2023 where he's kind of coming out of the bullpen in like a Chris Sale way where he just to kind of get his feet wet at the major league level? Because we know the stuff, you know, you could likely put him in the big leagues tomorrow. As we saw from that film, the backfield film against the Mets, he could get big league hitters out. I mean, striking on a guy like Jeff McNeil who almost never strikes out. He's, you know, a player in the 80s playing nowadays. Um, does the – at the end of the day, does the depth – hurt him or is it a positive to further his development to where they can kind of push him along at a rate that the Dodgers did with say like a Julio Urias who is a different kind of pitcher but because they assembled such a pitching depth on their own end you know he's kind of blossomed in a way that they've maybe thought he would manifest himself um your, your thoughts on that though with as far as like his timeline and um whether or not you know him coming to the big leagues sooner rather than later would be a uh, good or a bad thing for us yeah, no, I think it'd be a good thing. And, um, you know, at the, I, at the end of the day, I, I think having other guys who have, you know, had similar experiences, especially when you do have a guy like, you know, Sandy Alcantara, um, you know, who had expectations from two different fan bases. Um, and then, you know, was able to to obviously, you know, reach the top of the mountain in terms of becoming a Cy Young starter. Like, that's what it is. So, I think having guys like that as a mentor, um, especially when he is a bigger guy, um, I think that's great. You know, there's other guys who, who speak a lot of Spanish. Um, you know, I met Yuri and, you know, certainly, you know, is learning English, but like Spanish is his first language. That's what he's comfortable with. I would understand if I went to another country where, you know, all my teammates uh, didn't speak English. I could totally understand the comfort there. And I, I think that Miami has like that sort of culture. Um, they've done a good job on the pitching side it's a good ballpark to, to pitch in, <laughs> in general, if you're a pitcher. Um, so, you know, I, I think that it's a good thing, you know, they can slow roll them if needed. That said, um, you know, there's never enough pitching depth. Um, and if this is another guy who can provide innings um, and the pitching staff is going well and he pitches well enough, um, you know, not only, not only, you know, um, back in Pensacola, but, you know, uh, but, but also, um, uh, uh, in Jacksonville, like, you know, if he goes up triple A and shoves, like there's no reason not to bring him up to the major leagues. And if it, if it isn't a bullpen role, um, or even like, you know, you have some of these bullpen games where he's a guy that could go three or four innings. Um, there's probably some value in that down the stretch, just in terms of, you know, having innings and, um, if he's a guy that, you know, you decide to add to the 40 man, etc. So there's some things sort of working against them there in, in terms of that, like, ultimately being the case in 2023. Um, but I'm sure that he's going to be in big league camp. He's going to be around those guys. Um, you know, they're going to have him like having conversations with, you know, different big league guys, building relationships. 
teams do all that stuff in the back end um, just so it's a lot easier, especially with a prospect like Yuri, um, that when he does finally sort of reach the major leagues, that it's not like he's coming in totally blind and sort of like, you know, alienated by the fact that he's a rookie. Yeah, um, Jeff, for Yuri, um, as maybe we're finishing up with him, we get to the next prospect. Just who does he profile to you in the majors? Is there, when you see Yuri, is there a, a comparison that really jumps out to you when you see him pitch in double A? Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny, right? Because, like, I think you see, like, I like I actually have Andrew Painter number one, too. But um, when I see Painter, like, it's like, all right, it's like Verlander. Like, it's like that hoppy fastball. He can, you know, land the slider off of it. He's got a curveball and wants to throw a changeup. Like, just in terms of, like, how everything works, like, it's just very much there. Just how many guys in the major leagues are this big and have this kind of velocity? Because I, I think that's the other thing is when you look at, you know, a lot of bigger pitchers historically, they're not necessarily always the hardest throwers, you know. Um, it's more like guys who were ground ball pitchers that created downhill plane um, and would sort of beat you like that. Right. So it's, it's hard to, to come up with like an, an exact comp, um, you know, sort of like thinking about it off like the top of my head. I'm like trying to come up with somebody that like tunnels really well. Like, I guess like glass now is one guy because like, yeah. you know, the way his slider moves and the fastball, gets a little bit he doesn't cut his fastball like glasnow does but he's a bigger guy he hasn't had the command issues glasnow has like i think in terms of like how they throw and like how ultimately glasnow found success it's probably similar um big like lanky guy you'd probably think like tristan mckenzie but like he's much better than tristan mckenzie ever was it's really hard like I, you know i i can't think of too many pitchers that were this size that had this kind of stuff. And there's just not many starters in general that sit 97 miles an hour, you know, um, and could probably do it fairly easily. Um, you know, there's only, there's only a handful of guys, even in the majors of starters that, that do that. I mean, you're talking McClanahan, Otani, you know, Sandy Alcantara, Garrett Cole, Dylan Cease is probably there. Corbett Burns. So, I mean, it's it's a rare group. I could say Logan Gilbert. He kind of has a similar like yeah. skill set, but he's better than Gilbert. I mean, I don't think that's the question. <laughs> um, as you finish up with uh, Yuri, Adam, Lewis, anything you guys want to mention before we move on, or anything you want to ask Jeff as we go on to our next prospect? Um, for me, I'm just I'm ready to go on to the next guy. I've got notes here. I mean, Lewis, anyone you want anything you wanted to ask and talk about? Anything else? No, I think we've waxed poetic. On uh, Yuri enough to where we can, we can we can wait until he's dominating Reese Hoskins and Co. Uh, later next year to have further um, discussions about him. So for our next prospect, we're going to talk about we go from pitching. We're going to go to hitting um, for the Marlins who they drafted last season with the sixth overall pick, Mister Jacob Berry from LSU. Um, struggled a bit coming into rookie ball. Was still just getting used to it, but then turning around when he got to single A Jupiter with a 750 OPS 264 um, just was one of the best hitters in the SEC last season but there are questions about if he could play the field defensively because he did spend a lot of time DHing and then splitting time um, in his time LSU between DH and third base 
Uh, Jeff, what do you see Jacob Berry as a prospect? And just is this really going to be a really long developmental for Barry until he's finally major league ready? You know, I, I don't think it's going to necessarily be a long um, path. I just think, you know, um, the expectations have to be reset a little bit about, you know, what he's going to ultimately be. I, I don't think there's any chance he's going to be a, be a third baseman. I, like, I think it's a zero percent chance he's going to be a, a third baseman. I wouldn't at this point, I'd probably move him to first, try to get him to, to stick there. Um, he's not a very good fielder. He's a pretty he's a pretty well below average athlete, um, which which obviously isn't great. He's a switch hitter with contact skills, approach, and some power. It's not like drop your your jaw kind of power, um, but it's you know solidly fifty five. Um, I think you could probably, if you're optimistic about him, you could you could project the sixty power. I think that's what Josh Norris has on it, who does our Marlins coverage. Um, a lot of scouts that like Jacob Berry will have 60 on it. I don't know. I, I'll, I'll be honest. Like I, he, I'm probably the lowest guy in the public space on Jacob Berry. Um, it's just not my kind of profile. Uh, I tend to like shy away from switch hitters in general. Um, unless there's like up the middle defense that kind of goes with it. And it's like, all right. Um, switch hitting power hitters. It's, it, it's a long path typically. He's pretty polished. I mean, it's just, I don't know. I, I don't know how much better this profile gets. Um, yeah. It's just like he'd have to improve skills, which doesn't often happen with guys who are pretty high skilled. Um, or he'd have to get to more game power. And I, I, I think some of that is just probably letting loose a little bit in the approach. And the approach is one of the things that makes him really good. So, um I think this could be an everyday, you know, average regular at first base or DH, solid average, kind of like your your 280, um, you know, 20 home run guy with, you know, like a 10 to 12% walk rate. It's a little bit above average. He doesn't do anything incredibly well, but he does everything well at the plate. Professional hitter, all that sort of stuff. <laughs> your announcers will love him when he's at the plate. He'll go the other way sometimes. Um but, I mean, he's not the kind of, like, impact bat from college you're hoping to get in the top ten, in my opinion. Now, I could be proven wrong, you know. I could – like I said, I'm, I'm lower on Jacob Ferry than other people are. Certainly, Josh's reporting came back more optimistic um, than the people I've spoken with. But by and large, it seemed like he was a pretty divisive prospect, uh, depending upon the scout you were talking to and depending upon the analyst you were talking to leading up to the draft. Yeah. yeah, and for me, uh, I actually ha I'm right with you on that, Jeff. And personally speaking, uh, the kind of profile like you mentioned, I personally don't feel like it's warranted being selected as high as it is. Like, it's it, you, your hit and your power tools have to be Spencer Torkelson good, at least in my opinion, to be selected as high. And even now, you're seeing Torkelson the caveats of a selection like that, mm -hmm. because with your hit, when your hit and your power go down, there's nothing to leverage your value and your WAR because you don't, you're not a good runner. <laughs> Uh, you're not a fielder and you can't throw because you're a first base DH profile. So when that goes down the flusher, there's nothing to really to help you. Um, even with Barry, like you mentioned, the hit tool and the power tools weren't noisy enough for me to warrant a selection at number six. Uh, I mean, like there are obviously uh, things that he brings to the table. Um, specifically as, as a switch hitter, I think he is um, advanced as a hitter. Um, 
really, yeah. I think he's a better hitter from the right side than he is from the left. And he has very quick hands, being able to turn on the pitches. And he does make very advanced swing decisions for his age. You know, he played in the SEC, arguably one of the better conferences in college baseball, if not the best. Uh, had plus power with, like, I think he's got an easily capability to hit 25 or more homers a season, as long as that kind of the barrel accuracy keeps up with his hand and bat speed. But like you mentioned, Jeff, there really isn't beyond that a lot to talk about with um, with um, Barry. I mean, I kind of thought, eh, maybe he has an outside shot. I'd say in a third, I'll take your word for it if you're going to tell me that he has absolutely no chance um, because, you know, that's pretty much what the consensus in the industry is that he'll eventually slide across the diamond, if not off the field altogether at the DH role. Um, they're still trying to develop him at third. Obviously, it's not really working. Um, it's it's really those latter three tools that really limit his profile and his potential value. And I personally don't buy the the power and the hit tool enough to be like picked as high as he did. I personally really liked a guy um, like Cam Collier at number six. Um, I think it was one of the Crawford brothers, uh, not Crawford brothers, someone out there. Um, draft pick, somebody else who was a very, very talented guy. Um, it was a Phillies pick. I remember this year. But, yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's that's Carl Crawford. So. Carl Crawford, yeah, yeah, he was his little yeah, brother, Justin, Justin Crawford. Yeah, so those were all players I like. Not to get too off topic, but yeah, it's with with Barry. There's you like I like what I see at the plate, but other than that, it's like there's not yeah. a whole lot to leverage it. So he's running, he's really running on thin ice as an as a as a prospect if he's losing his ability to hit, which or is to hit for power as well. Yeah. Um, Lewis, same thing, but how do you see Jacob Berry maybe transitioning to the majors when that does happen? Who knows how long that's going to be two, three years from now? I think, I mean, personally, I think they just drafted Nick Castellanos transposed to college. Like when you talk about the lack of a defensive profile, like we, I believe right after he signed, we were on site to cover a game. It was a Sunday game and he was taking ground balls at third base. And again, like you can gauge that how you will. And I know a lot of prospects will what they'll use get they'll use game data and then they'll just kind of see how they go about things in practice to kind of make their decisions about um you know one's ability to respect the position and you can kind of see like the physicality of him reminds me of Cassianos in the sense that like he almost looks like he's too big to be playing third base and the arm itself like it looked like he was just struggling to make throws across the diamond I don't even want to imagine what like savant data says about like his arm strength in the minor leagues thus far though i'm sure jeff you may have something on that that we don't um yeah i i think maybe that like the marlins and they kind of did this with Blade, and this was maybe the kind of opinion that i was under the guys that i was under when they drafted him and that drafting a college bat while yes it's true that if you do go to college you're you know you're likely to face better competition and it's better for overall player development whether you're a pitcher or a position player i think maybe like the Marlins brass and scouting department, and I could be a hundred percent wrong. Maybe went with a pick like Barry in the first round, in that knowing he's a college bat, knowing he did it at two different schools, was at Arizona and LSU. The fact that he produced offensively was enough for them to maybe say, like, okay, like this is a guy that could go through the system quickly. And relative to where our pitching kind of is, we think that he could maybe establish himself, like you said, as maybe an auxiliary or a complementary big league player in the midst of what hopes to be a competitive team because of what they have in the rotation and what they're maybe hoping to get with some of the other guys, you know, in the infielders and the minors. But yeah, I think you're, you're kind of just like where they are with their position player development. It's so like low on the totem for like guys to be excited about. 
do you kind of just yeah, hold here's out the, for the pitch that I was there for. Manifest? Exactly, with Don Mattingly taking the throws at first. Do you kind of just wait for the bat to manifest and hope that, like, maybe the defense resolves itself at some position, whether that's corner outfield or third base? Because, I mean, I'm looking at, like, a negative 15 DRS third baseman if you put him in the big <laughs> leagues, like, tomorrow. Like, it's just the profile there doesn't look great. And, you know, we'll have more data to go off of. Uh, defensively, as this season, as 2023 kind of comes around, and the team, the organization maybe gets a better idea what to do with them. But yeah, I think you're just maybe holding out for the bat, and you know, thinking that he'll develop quickly because we saw, like you pointed out, Jeff and Adam, he's got plate discipline, and like that's something that like you can't necessarily just teach. There's guys in the big leagues who have been productive big leaguers for reasons beyond you know their ability to take walks, but. Um, a skill set like that, I think, is important. And I think that, like I said, would make him a nice complimentary piece. But I don't think that his he's a player of a caliber that you would merit taking, you know, where they did. $6 million for somebody who profiles to be an average big leaguer. I don't know, like, as a draft pick in the first round. Like, that's just something I I can't rest comfortably with, knowing that they did that. Yeah. And, and, and Jeff, when you look back at that draft class, especially for the Marlins, um, I don't want to, you know, armchair quarterback it, but um, hindsight's always twenty twenty. But when you look at it, is there a way you would have gotten? Because you know, looking at the names now and the way they're producing, there's guys like Brooks Lee, Kevin Parada. Um, you have Zach Neto, who's from Miami, who yeah. could have been <laughs> someone there, shortstop position they need. Uh, just how, how would you have looked from that as we have it on screen um, now, looking at it? Yeah, I, you know, I, I think like the the first name that came to mind for me, and like I I do our Cape coverage. I covered this class on the Cape in 2021. So I saw all these college players. Um, I saw a good chunk of high school players as well. I saw Kumar Rocker and, you know, Indie Ball. Um, so I've, I've seen this class. Uh, and, you know, for me, um, if I'm going to go with a polished college hitter, it would have been Brooks Lee over Jacob Berry. Um, a lot of it, you know, if, there, if there's questions about Lee's health, you know, I think there's questions about Barry's athleticism defense for me, like Lee can play shortstop. Yeah. He's not the most rangy guy. He easily could have moved over to third base. He had the arm for third base. He's got the actions. He doesn't need to, you know, have a shortstop's range over there. He moves well to his left. He moves well to his right. Um, he's a switch hitter with more power, I think, um, than Jacob Barry equal contact skills, equal approach. Um, you know, the hitter that I saw in, in the Cape Cod League hit 400 over two stints, hit with Team USA in between, um, you know, played for his dad in college and, you know, was the star of that team more or less from the moment he walked in. Um, and he's just, you know, sort of the type of mentality that I, I you know, for me, I'd, I'd, I'd put my money behind that. And, uh, you know, he got less money than, than Jacob Perry, so you probably could have signed him for less, uh, move some of that money down. That being said, um, if I would have gone with like my actual pick, I would have actually actually gone with Zach Neto. Um, kid from Miami, really fiery. Um, somebody that I, I think would sort of take uh, the responsibility of like, you know, being the, the face of the franchise kind of a player. He's a really good defender. Um, he's a good hitter with more projection at the plate. Um, you know, even pitch was a closer for Campbell. Um He's got a good arm. You know, he can defend. I mean, he's such a good defender. He moved Trey Faltini, who was a well, uh, uh, you know, highly touted 
defender shortstop from Texas over to second base when he was with Brewster. Um, and it's a quick story about Neto too. Neto was like tearing up the Cape Cod league. It was Neto and it was Chase Delauder. Those are the two like top players in 2021 that summer. And Neto ends up, you know, hits a homer. And then later that game um, ends up like breaking his ankle pretty much. So he goes home, he goes back to Miami and uh, rehab. Brewster makes it into the playoffs. Neto came back up like probably at like 70% and was like, I want to be in the middle of the order for the championship. I want to be playing shortstop. And they won. They won the title, man. He had some big hits. He had some big moments, big plays in the field. Um, he's just such a gamer. He's got a really good family. Um, that's a guy that like, for me, local kid beyond all that, like that's just from a mentality standpoint, he's got the tools. And I think he's a better hitter and a college guy than like Jacob Barry. So like, sure. Yeah. He's an sec guy. For me, you look at a kid like that comes out, come out of these smaller colleges. There's more projection there. Once they get into major league environments, they get into pro environments. They have pro instruction, pro facilities, um, they have bonus, so they're bonus guys. They're going to be treated well no matter where they are. Better conditions in the minor leagues now, too. Um, those guys are going to take off. Like I still feel like there's there's more to get out of, of players like that um, versus guys who have been completely optimized. I mean, Jacob Berry was was at you know Arizona, followed Johnson over to LSU, and I mean you know he's always been you know highly touted guy playing on big teams. Some of these guys that had the crawl the, you know claw their way up they're not necessarily like travel ball babies either you know so there's been some adversity there and one of the biggest things in the major leagues different from the nba it's different from the nfl and different from the nhl is you you don't get drafted and walk right into the locker room you don't get drafted and walk right into the lineup they're not going to play you uh in, in meaningless you know downs because they have to justify the fact that they spent four million dollars on you in the first round like you may not make it <laughs> they could sign you for four million dollars man and you may not ever see a major league field and it happens all the time I mean, we've seen number one picks that have flamed out you know um we don't have to go any further than you know last year with with the with the marlins and and khalil watson who i loved and i thought he was one of the best players i saw in spring training and things just go poorly and it's not even necessarily always in the field so I think that's the thing about baseball that people don't necessarily get is like, I don't know. Give me, give me some guys that actually have like had to battle, they, you know, go through some adversity. I don't look at the small school thing as like a, a knock or a negative, but could, to even be in that conversation, those guys really had to be pretty damn good. Like Colton Cows is a pretty good professional prospect now. And people were like, I don't know. He went to Sam Houston state. And it's like, uh, why is he even in the conversation? You know? Yeah, no, I'm totally with you on that, Jeff. And like when you talk about like one example I'll give, it's like Zach McCambly from Coastal Carolina. It's a Marlins guy, has yeah. that ridiculous 3000 RPM plus. I forget exactly what it is, curveball, yeah. but it's Coastal Carolina, you know. So it's like it's really if you've got the talent, it's any sport, really, they will find you. If you've got it, they will find you no matter where you're at. If it's D1, D2, Juco, D3, you're there, they will do it. Um, that's really what it comes down to. If you've got the tools, and for me, it's just like you want to pick guys that are just going to be playing up the middle because, if you know, eventually they're going to sort themselves out on the defensive spectrum. They'll fall down and they'll filter themselves out. But like like, I, like you mentioned, it was just like you've already maximized Jacob Berry and what he's really – his tool set is what he's really coming into the table with. There's not much that he can really bring. 
Whereas a guy, if you pick like where you mentioned Zach Nito and up the middle guy was projectable, or I mentioned a guy like Cam Collier, who is a corner infielder, but I just love the fact that he was a 17 year old and really the only like playing in Juco and raking. And like the only hitting comp that you could bring about with him was Bryce Harper, because there is no other 17 year old who was doing that at the Juco level who dropped out at the age of 16, got his GED, you know, had the the cojones to go to do that and go play in Juco and just absolutely shred it up as a 17 year old. Everybody else is a junior in high school is something that I love. Like doing like those, like, if it's not something toolsy up the middle, because you should always be picking best available, if, like in theory, like obviously there's some nuance to it. But uh, if you've got that kind of strategy where if you're going up the middle, you really can't go wrong because it's you're always picking the toolsiest guys, the guys who have the most, um, I would say, margin of error, at least defensively, because they have the most room to fall down that spectrum. And it's something that you see teams don't always employ. So it's unfortunate to see. And I feel like the Marlins are one of those franchises that seems like it's been that way. Yeah. Um, now let's go into the next player. Um, we do have some time for a couple more. So we'll do this one and then we'll get into some of the, the two um, Tommy John pitchers, Max Meyer, Drake Eater. But we're going to go Khalil Watson. Uh, Jeff, you just mentioned him. Um when the Marlins picked him, it was just almost a shock in terms of value. Uh, some people had Khalil Watson top five. Some even had him um, as their number one overall prospect in that draft. Um, he is coming definitely from an up-and-down season, um, was benched multiple times this year um, in, I believe, single-A ball, rookie ball. that he Just uh, really almost big distractions going on um, between them. Um, he did finish off the season. Um, on a hot streak, but overall, we are feeling uh, peaks and valleys with Khalil Watson and Jeff. How would you see um, Khalil's tenure with Miami going? How do you describe that and maybe his potential with the fish? Yeah, um, you know, tumultuous, I think, is probably the best word to describe it. Uh, you know, it's been unfortunate. Um, you know, I was as much of a Khalil fan as anybody. You know, I felt like for um, a large sort of portion of time leading up to that draft, we had kind of heard some speculation and rumors, and it really started to heat up over the last week or two before the draft that there were a lot of teams in the, the top half of the draft where Watson was just clearly off of their board. He wasn't a player that they were interested in drafting. And, um, you know, I think that <laughs> when you consider that and some of, you know, the instances you saw on field with, you know, the the whole gun thing, um, I think just at times just his his effort level. Um, it, it's funny because, like, I, I didn't necessarily see that in spring training. Like, you know, he's flashy, um, but he was pretty fun. Uh, he seemed like he was enjoying his time with his teammates and um you know was any of the games in the backfield which isn't always the easiest thing i mean some of those games are absolutely grueling um and it just seemed like you know things started to snowball for him because you remember he started off the season on fire it didn't make any sense he was striking out left and right but when he wasn't striking out i mean he was hitting just like nukes um so it'd be like these you know two for five games where he'd have a homer and a double and then he'd strike out three times on like nine pitches um and the reports that I was getting were bad. Like the early reports I was getting from scouts, even though the numbers were good, were like, no, 
this is going to correct itself. And it did. And I think when things corrected itself and really started to snowball and he had a lot of people in his ear um, and, you know, for a guy like this, he'd never really struggled. Um, this guy was on the, if I remember, he was on like the Canes B team for travels. He wasn't even on the A team. Sort of popped up in one tournament and then all of a sudden was like, I think on Team Elite or whatever, was like on the Elite Travel teams for like a year. You have to think about 2020, all that stuff factors in. This guy has never been bad. So it's like, it was like a roller coaster. Like it was just, a, you know, he was just heading uphill, man. And all of a sudden everything just crashed. Um, I'm sure for a kid like this, like that's not easy. Um, especially for a guy who's extremely confident and, you know, probably has not had to deal with like much adversity in his life. Um, at least from a, from a baseball perspective. Um, I don't know. I don't know about his home life whatsoever. Um, but you know, it's tough. Like I, I, for me, like he's one of the most fun players I've ever watched on, on a baseball field, like as a prospect teenager, I'd like, I, this dude hit a ball with a 96 mile per hour fastball from Edwin Nunez in the backfields in Jupiter on the Cardinals side. And he hit a ball to the, to the wall, like, and it was, you know, whatever, probably like four Oh five. Like he hit it off the top of the wall. Um, came around second base, saw the guy kind of bobbled it on a transfer and just like, you know, jogged into third, um, made a bunch of plays in the field, you know, nice single the other way in like the same game. Um, he was just electric. And like before that he was hitting nukes in the backfield. And like, there were a lot of scouts were like, this is the best guy. Brady house. I had seen the day before. And they're like, yeah, Watson's way better. Uh, I don't know if you'd get a lot of scouts would say that necessarily now, even after, you know, house's hard season. I mean, he had a few things he had to deal with in terms of uh, physical stuff, but yeah, man, I don't know. I, you know, I, 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 I root for this guy. Um, I hope that he's good. I hope that he figures everything out because um, he's an exciting player and he's, he's, you know, kind of has that, like when he's, when he's on, like he's a lot of fun. He's just, he's got swagger going and baseball kind of needs those spicy guys, you know, like it was almost like a Cunha kind of stuff. It was fun like that. And um, obviously it got very unfun very quick. And as somebody who had kind of, you know, been, you know, team Watson, uh, it wasn't, it, it, it wasn't a great, a great look. It wasn't a great period. You know, I, I kind of felt like a little like, damn, like, you know, um, I didn't see that coming, but we'll see, you know, maybe, maybe this is a learning experience that happens with guys. Um, you know, we're not talking about somebody who was arrested or anything like that. It's just maturity stuff in a baseball field. And I, I think you can, I think you can outgrow that. So let's hope that's the case. And I think the big thing for, for him is just, not swinging so damn much. I mean, he really liked to swing early in the season. He started to kind of get inside of an approach. He had a little bit more of a plan later in the year. We saw the results come a little bit more. Um, I think just the quality of the bats got better. So we'll see. He has as much ability as anybody. If he, if he shows up next year and has a great year, it wouldn't shock me. Yeah, no, for me, Khalil is easily probably the, one of the most polarizing players of that draft class in 2021. Uh, you know, he rated that he had like a 200 WRC plus in the FCL last year, 2021. And in this year, you know, starting out, he was absolutely electric. Um, he has that twitchy athleticism. Uh, he's easily like a 2020 candidate in the future if he puts it together. Um, like you mentioned, Jeff, he's a 
every bit of a free swinger. Like he had that 40% strikeout rate early in the year, and that kind of curtailed a little bit, but it still wasn't pretty at all by any measure. Uh, and like, you know, like you mentioned, looking, looking underneath the hood, um, you know, he had a 44% chase rate. So he really, really struggled. Um, honestly, I feel like it's a lot. It, honestly, like, like the way he struggled was so bad at the plate that I almost want to feel like it was a mental thing more than anything else because like it was it wasn't this bad at the rookie level and obviously that's the CPL and it's like it's like it's just rookie ball it's really just an advanced high school level for all the best guys I don't really put too much weight into it but even then like he wasn't off like, he was still very good and like it wasn't nearly this bad the chase rates were kind of alarming at the rookie level but still um, I think personally, it's more of a, uh, learning curve from a, a mental perspective from him, from, you know, the, the young way forest kid, he's just going to mature, right? Uh, he's going to be, uh, he's got electric power, I think as a plus tool, you know, from a shortstop is very, very valuable given his athleticism as well. Um, he's got that rotational athleticism you love to see from those up the middle athletes. So he's going to be staying there and he's going to be hitting very, very well. Um, I think it's really ultimately if he's how much his slugging is going to come down to how much he's able to adjust to professional pitching and but really his arm strength and his athleticisms are going to keep him up the middle and especially I believe at shortstop even if it's not there it's going to be like in center field or at second base um, like he's got is like you mentioned there's there's fewer players who are as toolsy as he is in the minor leagues just as like Khalil, as, as Khalil Watson is but he's extremely, extremely raw. Like we mentioned that 60 raw power is raw because he can't make contact and he hasn't really been able to, but when he does, the ball booms off of his bat. Um, you know, a lot of scouts have put have invested a lot of concern into the maturity. Uh, I personally don't believe it's that big of a deal. You know, all of us make mistakes at 18, 19, we all do stupid stuff, but, and it's, it's no different for a guy like Khalil Watson. I think it's a little bit overrated. Um, obviously what he did is not good. He needs to learn from that. Um, but I don't think the character thing is going to be super alarming. It's kind of overplayed, uh, in my opinion, for other reasons. Uh, if anything, if you're going to talk about him, it's the idea at the plate, where it's it's more circumstantial, I feel, even then. Other guys have him as a 40 FE. I still have him as a 45 because I do believe that there is something to be said. But if he's chasing this much at single A, what is it that's going to be happening at a higher level? But even, like, you know, it's still pretty high. There's some mental aspect to it, I believe, where he'll rebound. Like Jeff said, I wouldn't be surprised if he does. Yeah. Lewis, your thoughts on Mr. Watson before we move on to some of the pitchers before we wrap up? I mean, given the dynamicism of his ability to hit for power and walk, you know, I'm a guy who kind of predicates his, I guess, his writing, his writing prowess. Not even prowess. I feel like that's too, uh, too self, not even like, maybe it's too narcissistic to like use that word. So I'll, I'll, I'll abstain from it, but I would say um, comparisons are like a thing that I like to do as far as projections go. Um, but I wanted to ask Jeff, cause when I'm looking at him, I'm looking at from the profile, the aggressive chase, but also the tw true 2020. And if it further manifests 30, 30 ability that he could show at the upper levels of the minors and, you know, maybe one day in the big leagues, he puts it together and does something like that. Um, am I looking at Byron Buxton playing shortstop? Um, Jeff, that also kind of leads me to ask you, um, what kind of what is his ceiling going beyond the 2080 scouting scale? Like, are there any maybe contemporary big leaguers that you see at, when you watch Watson, like as far as his uh, abilities and the way that he go, plays the game is? Is he more Javi Baez or is he more, you know, Tim Anderson or is he another guy like, you know, say Buxton who, while playing a different uh, premium defensive position um, kind of exudes similar skill set. 
I think it's more like Javi Baez, like without the defense. Um, he's never going to be a Javi like level defender. He's probably going to end up at second base. I would honestly imagine. Um, but at the plate, like it's a direct Javi comp. Um, Javi was probably more advanced at this point, and definitely was. Um, you know, even as much as Javi Baez swung and missed, like I think there was more contact. Um, especially in the minors, you didn't kind of, like struggle like this. Um, but it's very much like that kind of a profile where it's on Twitch, it's on, you know, power at the point of contact, you know, he expands the zone a lot. Um, he's going to run high chase rates, even if he, you know, even like, like a positive chase rate for him is probably like in the low thirties. This is never going to be a guy that's running like 25 or lower, you know, percent chase rates, just not going to be a guy like um, but you know, if he's got power, he's got Twitch kind of figures out what to swing at. So he's swinging at stuff inside the zone, You're kind of all right with like, there being a little bit of whiff there, um, him chasing on certain pitches, particularly inside, uh, cause he can get pretty compact, um, and sort of drive that stuff. If he, you know, cheats and sort of ambushes it to his full side. Um, so, you know, I, I think with a guy like this, like, you know, you look at like, you know, stuff that sort of eliminates contacts and, and stuff. You look like, you know, Wobicon and things like that. His numbers are great <laughs> because he has good angles and he's got good power. Um, so I really think like, like Javi Baez, a lot of it's predicated on that. And you just need to sort of turn down the dial a little bit on the aggression. And if you can get it to a sustainable period where he kind of balances the two, um, then you could get a guy like Baez. I can't really imagine at this point, like the ceiling that I would have had on him, a year ago um I, I don't know if he's going to get to sort of that level i thought there was more approach here i thought there was more bats of ball skills but there was a better chance that he would stick at shortstop um but you know now i think like you if you ended up with javi Baez at second base you'd probably be pretty excited like you'd be a really exciting player yeah um before we go jeff really quickly i wanted to ask your thoughts um, on Max Meyer and Jake Eater. Maybe we could put them both together. Marlins have one pitcher who's going into rehab for Tommy John and another pitcher who's just coming out of it. Just how do you overlook those two players and maybe what the Marlins have there with Max Meyer and Jake Eater just both having Tommy John almost one year apart? Well, the crazy thing is, had my uh, uh, Eater not gotten hurt, I really think there would have been a case for like him moving ahead of, of Meyer and Rankins. He was out pitching him. Um, I like his fastball more than than I like Meyer's fastball. Meyer cuts the hell out of his fastball. He's got velocity. I don't really like the movement on it, to be frank. I think that's what his biggest problem is going to be. Um, once he comes back, if he returns to form, it's like, how is that fastball going to play? It's every bit of 70 slider, um, but he needs to have something to play off of it. I've actually always liked Meyer's changeup. <laughs> more than the majority of people did. I've had an above average grade on it for a long time. I think, you know, some of the consensus finally caught up to that. I think you can even argue just from like a pitch movement and like looking at what is effective in the major leagues, his changeup might actually be a higher grade pitch than this fastball, despite, you know, uh, the velocity and everything else. You got, you got to have shape. You got to be able to do something, uh, whether it's like heavy cut or, or ride or release characteristics that aren't quite as generic as, as Myers. Um, 
it's just not a lot of deception, which is one of the reasons that he sort of lives off of that slider. And if he's not landing it, he can be really ineffective. Um, I felt like Ader was a guy that just because of the circumstances at Vanderbilt, um, he never got overused at Vanderbilt the way that some of these other starters have. Then again, he did end up having an arm injury. Um, but you talk about fastball slider combination. It's really good. I mean, that, that those are two legitimately plus pitches. The changeup is, is usable. It's fine. It's probably average. He's got control. Um, I, I thought when you were watching him prior to that injury, especially when he went on that run, I mean, he was just executing. Like every single time out, it was like the fastball, the slider, it was just always in the right spot. You know, he's keeping guys guessing. Um, he was able to manipulate shape on it when he wanted to. If we if he comes back and we see that again, I think this guy will be in the major leagues fairly quickly. Like I, you know, it may it may take two months, um, but I think it will probably move pretty quick because I would imagine they'll send him to double A, send him over to triple A after that for a little bit. Um, but you know, we look back and we think about you know how well Eater was executing at that point in time. I think if you can get back to that with the same stuff. This is this is another guy that's being a little slept on right now, but that happens. Guys get hurt and they get forgotten about, like with good reason. There's other players playing, other stuff going on. Um, you know, at, not too long ago, this guy was the big news in this system, and I think for good reason. So let's let's hope that you know he's back to full health and the stuff is all the way back, which I have no reason based on what I've heard um, that that's not going to be the case. So yeah, I would take him. I think that you know. Um, he's probably the guy over Meyer. I think Meyer's going to end up being a reliever, honestly. Yeah. With yeah. That profile, I just, I, I think that's what he's going to end up being. That's the general consensus around most of us here, too. The yeah. way I'm kind of feeling about Eater, I, w- I have him ranked pretty high just because I like what you mentioned. And especially what he put up in 2021 is like literally like 1 1 numbers, like a guy who was selected with the number one overall pick of the draft, that is the kind of numbers you put up at double A, you know, just straight up coming out of the draft. And he was absolutely, he missed time. Obviously uh, he didn't pitch, I think his first possible professional season, that part of the year in 2020, but he came out of the gates in 2021 in double A at Pensacola. And he was absolutely amazing. Like, and I, and I think there's an, there's a legit chance he could be a three or a four. I think that might be somewhat up. Maybe I think a four is probably more of uh, a better outcome, I believe, but I think that fastball that he's throwing in the high nineties, as teen in the high nineties, with that slurvy uh, curveball, I think it's just absolutely an amazing profile. And he's got that changeup. I think that's kind of working. It's in the workings right now, but it's still coming in. And I think he's going to be a very, very effective starter. And it's just another amazing arm the Marlins have. And I, you know, kind of looking at Fulton, or sorry, not Fulton. Um, Max Meyer, he's got that fastball slider combo, probably one of the best in the minor leagues. Um, but for me personally, I do think we've we've seen him even at Minnesota. There was reliever risk even when he was drafted. So, as hard as he throws and as effective as his slider is, I do believe that Meyer also like there, he, if he's not going to be you know throwing four or five innings as a starter, he will be a very very good reliever. He's always been someone who's thrown like he's had a lot of good command and control as a as a as a starter, even though his fastball kind of did lack does lack some advanced shape in my opinion. Uh, I still think if he if, if he does end up in the bullpen, he's going to be like a super weapon out of there. He's going to be very very effective, and he's going to be one of the best pieces in, in baseball. I think. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, Jeff, before we let you go, uh, this has been really great talking prospects. Just the final thing I want to hear from you, um, just for Marlins fans and, and for people listening, um, how does the future look like for the Marlins in terms of prospects? Should 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 they be happy? Should they be looking at it with, with smiles? How, how does the future look prospect-wise for the Marlins? It's been, you know, um, it's been a weird couple of years because uh, I feel like they've they've added talent. Um, it's certainly not a system that is, I would say, thin. Um, but there's been a lot of guys that I would say the outcomes haven't been quite as good as you would have hoped. And it seems like that's been a, a pretty consistent theme now for a few years. Um, you know, we'll we'll see how things sort of, you know, shake out with um, like Cabrera at the major league level and some of these other guys. Um, but, you know, the injury with Meyer when he was about to come up, I think, you know, or, or was up more or less, um, you know, that's pretty, pretty hard. Um, I don't love the Jacob Berry pick, of course. What happened with Khalil Watson over the year uh, isn't great. I do think that you guys do a really good job in the international market. We've seen that with Yuri Perez. Uh, so if there's any team that could have another breakout guy that's off these lists right now, it could be the Marlins. But like Yidi Cafe is a really interesting prospect we didn't talk about. And you know, there's guys that down in the you know Dominican Republic and and some of those uh, you know the international scouts that I've spoken with that have like put like Tatis type of comps on him. Um, just, you know, like a ton of Twitch, you know, there's, there's maybe more power coming um, and just, you know, a really exciting player. They have a lot of guys who are really exciting. I think the big thing is, you know, with some of the regime change, let's be optimistic that, you know, maybe some of the, you know, training methods and player development stuff that you guys are doing will alter a little bit and change. And as you get more progressive, maybe in those areas, particularly on the hitting side, we'll start to see, um, you know, some, some more, uh, some more, uh, fruit from the farm. Awesome. Well, Jeff, this has been a lot of fun. Um, I'm going to thank you so much for, for coming on. This has been, you know, easily Thanks probably the best, uh, episode, uh, for, for Adam Lewis, for Eli behind the scenes. I'm Daniel, Jeff. Thank you so much for coming on. This has been fishology and always go fish.